Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us tonight. I'm Melissa Sputtered, and this is Tefera Talk, the Blog Talk Radio show for Tefera, a journal of spiritual literature, where our goal is to promote peace in the individual and in the world through writing. In addition to listening today, we'd love for you to join our online community at www.tiferetjournal.com. That's www.tiferetjournal.com, where you can interact with other members, read their writings, post your own writing, and subscribe to the journal. We'd like to let you know as well that our blog talk chat room is currently open if you would like to chat with other listeners or suggest questions. Our interview tonight is with Elizabeth Cunningham, novelist, poet, interfaith minister, and counselor. Cunningham is the direct descendant of nine generations of Episcopal priests and grew up hearing rich liturgical and biblical language, which, among other literary and personal influences, strongly informs her writing. She's the author of the series The Maze Chronicles, as well as many individual books such as The Wild Mother, The Return of the Goddess, The Divine Comedy, How to Spend Gold, A Woman's Tale, Small Bird, and Wild Mercy. The novel Red Robed Priestess, the fourth of the Maze Chronicles, will be released in mid-November. Cunningham has stated that both the Maeve Chronicles and her interfaith ministry express her profound desire to reconcile her Christian roots with her call to explore the divine feminine. For more information about Cunningham, please visit www.passionofmarymagdalene.com. Hi, Elizabeth. How are you doing tonight? Hi, Melissa. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you. Well, thank you for having um, I, me on. Oh, yeah, it's and, such an honor to have you here. Thank you so much. So your show um, is named for um, part of the Tree of Life in the Kabbalah, is that right? That's correct. Oh, yes. I just thought I'd interview a little, you a little bit. <laughs> uh, feel free to throw in any questions you want. <laughs> okay. <laughs> great. <laughs> we'll make it a dialogue. <laughs> Sure. So, um, but I did want to start and um, ask you, since you'll be we'll, you'll be reading from your forthcoming book, The Red Robe Priestess, tonight. Um, will you tell our listeners a little bit about the Maze Chronicles and what the Red Robe Priestess's place is among the chronicles? Sure. Well, the Maze Chronicles feature the Celtic Mary Magdalene, whose name is Maeve. They are fiction even though I did a lot of um, detailed research on the first century so that I could get all my settings correct. And um, Maeve is a storyteller, and you are her audience, so she can move in and out of time in terms of her voice. And um, I've been writing these for many, many, many years, and Red Robe Priestess is the culmination. I didn't think I was going to write four books when I started out, but there is a lot of action in those stories, and this one of her return to Britain, because she's the Celtic Mary Magdalene, and she starts out in Britain, and she ends in Britain, is about that part of her journey, and it also involves Queen Boudica, or Boudica, or Bodicia, or Bodicia, however you pronounce her name, who is another historical figure, and so it's pretty action-packed, and I'll answer more questions about that as they come. Okay. Is that enough of an overview? 
Oh, that's perfect. And I, I'm okay. just glad to know that there's no way for me to improperly pronounce that name, it sounds like. <laughs> oh. Yeah, and the other thing that I forgot to mention is that I still wetted to make sure that each one of these books, um, what are they called, Magdalene Rising, The Passion of Mary Magdalene by Dark Madonna and Red Road Priestess, can be read on its own and in any order. And I just heard from someone who began with the last one, and that works too, so... Oh, great. Yes. Just and want you I, all to know that. I remember hearing that you actually wrote them out of order. Is that correct? I mean, they're not, they weren't written in no, chronological order. No, I anymore. wrote them in chronological order in terms of the oh, fact that the first scene you're going to see in Magdalene Rising is her getting born, but they got published um, in a different order than I wrote them because I was oh. at one point, and that publisher wanted to lead with what was chronologically the second one. The Passion of Mary Magdalene. So many, 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 probably most readers began with that one and then went back to Magdalene Rising. So I always say you can divide it up. If you like to read chronologically, you begin with Magdalene Rising, Passion, Bright Dark Madonna, and Red Robe Priestess. But depending on your interests, you would read in other ways. If you're really interested in the gospel story, you'd begin with Passion of Mary Magdalene. If you're interested in Celtic lore, you'd begin with Magdalene Rising. Um, if you're the mother of a daughter, you probably got to read Bright Dark Madonna someday. And um, again, if you're interested in British history, a Red Robe Priestess would be a very good place to begin. Okay, thank you so much. That's very helpful. Um, I want to. I'm going to just start by asking you the question that I'm really dying to know the answer to. <laughs> okay, that's a good place to start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the things that just blows me away about your fiction is that it's so uninhibited. And to me, I, I mean, I hate making absolute statements, but it feels like it really is absolutely fearless without being sensationalist. And uh, in so many senses, really, literary, religious, sexual, social, political. And um, mm. so many of our writers, our listeners are writers. And can you tell me how a person gets to this place of being able to write from that sort of freedom, or at least how you believe you got to that place? Well, I, I, the Maeve Chronicles, which I really feel like, well, that was my life's work, but actually I had written four novels before I began them. So I'd have plenty of time to experiment with voice and um, how I wanted to tell a story. And one of those four novels did not get published. That was the autobiographical one. But um, I think that the, the freedom of the voice has a lot to do with the character herself, who actually, I might as well tell this part, she arrived um, when I was had finished another book and I just thought, I'm not going to write anymore. I'm, I'm like, I don't have anything more to say. So I was drawing instead and I was scribbling and out popped this very naked, very bodacious woman who called herself Madge. And she would like to, she sat in an easy chair and ate chocolates and talked about the meaning of life. And she also made really intense theological jokes. She's very irreverent. She was unabashedly a prostitute because she was a painter and couldn't support herself as an artist, which seemed very familiar to me. So she was a very out there, and I just was intrigued with her. And I said, oh, you're going to, you will be in my next novel. And she said, well, that all depends. And she actually thought two, my ideas were rather boring until one night I thought, hmm, there's a lot of same letters in Madge as in Magdalene, and she has this flaming red hair. Well, what about, well, wouldn't it be interesting to have a Celtic Mary Magdalene? And she said, yeah, okay, I'll do that one. So she was already outrageous. And when I started to write, I really wanted to keep that, that voice, 
which is one reason why it did end up being that she's talking to you and she can talk from our time as well as her own. So I have to give a lot of the credit to Maeve. Um, that said, I do not think the books are channeled, although I think she is real. It's a paradox. Um, but, yeah, she just pushed my boundaries. And um, if you read her story, her she starts out life as the only child of eight warrior witch mothers in the Celtic other world. And one thing that Maeve has that I think a lot of us wish we had or long for, certainly I do, is she is so sure of herself as the adored only daughter of eight warrior witches that she doesn't have any struggle with self-esteem no matter what happens to her. So I think that that fearlessness is something that she was born to. And also, you will see if you read her adventures, gets her into a lot of trouble throughout her (laughs) life. It's not like she had an easy ride at all. In fact, somebody in an interview once asked me, why did she, why did she have to suffer so much? Why did you make her suffer? And it's like, well, she kind of put herself out there. She didn't hold anything back. Well, in a strange way, though, that's one of the most comforting things about her is the way she bears that suffering. I think it's um, instructive or at least comforting. Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love the way you're talking about her and how she came to you um, fully formed almost, that you drew her rather than writing her in the beginning and she was talking to you. I've noticed this uh, phenomenon with very strong characters that they start to develop almost independently of the authors and kind of even start writing themselves at a certain point and I'm I'm hearing that so strongly with this. Although you that it didn't, I mean, I had to sweat blood to do it too. I mean, it's like there's also craft involved. So I think of it oh, as a partnership. Uh, really, it's a partnership that we both had to agree to enter into, or I had to agree to enter into. She'd already decided. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I love that. <laughs> well, you can see that. I mean, in reading the books, I mean, there really is this feeling of, of a partnership between you and Maeve, and obviously yeah. the crafting is there. But I, I like how in the beginning it was it was almost like you were saying, oh, well, this fearlessness, this braveness is Maeve's. But I have to say I, I see it in your other writings as well. And, and oh, thank you. Yes, I don't, I don't, just from my point of view, it's not just her, it's you too, although she's Oh, that's probably why I got the job. She probably checked out my resume, yeah. Well, actually, while we're um, on the, the, since I've mentioned the poetry, I I did want to ask, I think, I'd like to know how you feel that um, the the two genres that you write in, the poetry and the fiction, how do they sort of vary and intersect for you? Well, I think I always um, thought of myself as a novelist first, and I would write what I called emergency poetry because it emerged. But then I, I developed more of a poetry <laughs> practice because one of the reasons why I developed the practice was because I really got tired of my prose journal, got tired of hearing myself. I said, okay, if you're going to write about your life, you have to do it briefly and succinctly and in some kind of poetic form, even if it's a bad poem, you have to write poems because I don't want to hear you anymore, is what I kind of said to myself. (laughs) um, And then, you know, as the Maeve comes from a culture that is um, a, a culture of poets and bards and storytellers and 
So it just sort of seemed natural that some of the things that she said or needed to say had to be in song or verse somehow. Yeah. So they just kind of flowed, one flowed naturally from the other, but I'm I'm primarily a novelist. Great, thank you. Um, I know you're going to read to us from the um, forthcoming novel tonight. Um, would you like to read that passage now? Oh, sure. Um, okay, I'll set up the... Um, I'll set the scene a little bit. The oh, reason sure. why I had to write the fourth uh, book was because I planted a little seed in the first one. Maeve had, and has really quite traumatic and perilous adventures and had a child, um, which I don't really want to give away all the... Well, I am going to give it away a little bit. She had a yeah, child in traumatic circumstances. And when she saved the life of a certain young foreign exchange student who had come to study with the Druids, she was exiled and this child was taken from her from her arms. So um, she's gone back to Britain to find this child after being exiled for many years because her the daughter that she has with Jesus, when she finds out she has a half-sister, she says, well, well we're going to go find her. And um, Maeve feels a bit of trepidation because the circumstances were quite traumatic and she doesn't really know what to expect or she finds out that this child has been told all kinds of terrible things about her. So what I'm going to read to you is um, her first meeting with Boudica, who is the rebel queen who took on um, the Roman occupation in Britain, that's a historical part of it, and almost succeeded in um, destroying the Roman occupation in Britain. So that's who Maeve is about to meet. So this is from her point of view. I found myself stepping inside the familiar curved contours of a round hut, just a little larger than the one where I was born. The light came from a central hearth fire, In the shadows, someone strummed a harp, a bit off-tune in the damp. A cloaked figure sat on a low stool before the fire. Nearby, a young girl held a drop spindle. The girl leaned in and said something I did not catch to the cloaked one. A woman. She turned as she rose, slowly, majestically, an oak tree spiraling to full height. Thick, gleaming braids fell to her waist, Brighter than the bright plaid tunic she wore beneath her cloak, bright as the heavy gold torque around her neck, just brighter than her eyes, red-brown eyes, the color of a fox. My father's eyes, her father's eyes, Lavernio's alive again, standing before me in this strange, familiar form. I've got you, whispered Sarah, her arms around me, but she was trembling too. The young girl sat, put down her spindle and went to stand next to the woman, a slender birch leaning into this massive greatness. No one spoke. The harper stopped playing. The fire, too, seemed to quiet itself. Outside, rain began to fall, now and then a drop leaking from the smoke hole and hissing on the coals. I could hear my heart beating. Why have you come? She spoke like that, each word with its own separate weight, a low voice, stone rolling against stone in a cold, rising tide. I I wanted to see you again. I heard my voice as if from outside myself. It sounded faint, insubstantial, like a wind seeking a way through a crack. Again, she repeated. I waited, waited for her to ask me what I meant by again, waited for her to ask me what deep in her body she must know, waited for her to name me, to accuse me. I looked at her, 
silently beseeching her to say it. For a fleeting moment I saw, not my father's eyes, haunted, wary, but the infant face I had never forgotten, my arms lifted of their own accord, reaching out for her. Then, although I had not touched her, I felt hurled back. She herself looked startled, as if she had wakened suddenly from a dream, just as my father once shook off his nightmare madness to become again a calm and reasoned druid. I am Boudica, she said, drawing herself up to an even greater height, so that her hood grazed the roof and fell back, revealing a gold crown of finely wrought knotwork. Queen of the Iceni, daughter of the great druid Lavernios. And she began to recite her whole patrilineage, our patrilineage. And that's wow. her first meeting. Yeah. <laughs> That's the first reading of that. Wow. That's a, yes, that's the yeah, and that's that's my first reading of that, and that is Maeve's first meeting with her daughter, who was taken from her um, decades before. Oh, it's such an exciting and beautifully written passage. Um, I love the emphasis on on naming in there too. I, I've noticed that as a motif through yes. the other names as well. Um, would, would you talk about that a little bit? The, well, lineage was very, very important to the Celts and probably to most um, peoples. So that um, when Maeve went to apply to Druid school, she had to recite her lineage, which was a little problematic since she had eight mothers, but her lineage was a little <laughs> vague, and she didn't know who her father was. Her mothers told her that her father was the Mananan Maklir, the god of the sea. So when she finds out that he's this rather deranged Druid named Lavernios, that's that was very. That's what the whole Magdalene Rising turns on. And um, in the beginning of Passion of Mary Magdalene, the one of the opening scenes is finds her on a slave block in the Roman Forum, and um, she's stripped naked and she's for sale, and she's saying, "I am Maeve, daughter of the eight warrior witches of Tirnavon," and she's trying to recite her lineage, and you know they they tell her the slave dealer says, "Shut up, you don't have a lineage anymore," and so. Um, that was very that was devastating to her, but it's very interesting that when she how she survives is by really making common cause with everyone from all over the world who everyone has lost their lineage they've lost their roots and um she and Jesus basically have in common that the way that they are welcoming the outcast because they know what it is to be outcast, so she begins having this pride in lineage and she comes to an understanding that there's something greater than that. In common humanity. Wow, <laughs> thank you. Um, I was thinking also so, some of the things that you were talking about um, with the outcast were making me think of how to spin gold. Um, mm. It's such an important theme in that as well, and also so tied into naming. <laughs> so, oh yes, yes, yes. That book is about, in a way, I think almost think that was the first time that I did use first-person narrative was in How to Spin Gold. And that um, narrator really, I feel, is kind of connected to Maeve. It's sort of like her uh, other hidden side because this is someone with no self-esteem, with no name, with nothing, who has to grow into her, who has to grow into an understanding of who she is over a lifetime. She's not born with it at all. So, uh, yeah. And wow. she feels unseen without a name. Well, you never get to know what her name is. She gets to know what her name is, but the reader doesn't. <laughs> Boy, but anyway, yeah. 
<laughs> that's so interesting, <laughs> really, um, to have a protagonist that's never named. That's yeah. Really um, I, when you were reading the passage, also one of the things that I was really focusing on, and I'd like to kind of revisit the topic of, uh, because you sort of hinted at it, but the crafting, and we didn't really go into it. Um, and you've talked a little bit about the influence of the liturgical and biblical language. And mm-hmm. um, I heard so much lyricism in, in what you read and the repetition of the structures. And um, I'm just wondering also what you would consider some of your other influences to be or, or maybe other writers, um, your literary what? ancestors, so to speak. Well, my <laughs> biggest literary ancestor is C.S. Lewis, I think, even though he's a Christian apologist and, and in some ways a man of his time and place, and he would probably be fairly appalled by me. But in terms of how you tell a story, I you know I grew up in the with the Narnia books, and really inhabited them, and I think from him I really learned about how to write about that kind of new go between a numinous encounter with mystery or with the divine, which he writes about very well, and then go into some very earthy, matter of fact, um, humorous place. He did that really really well, and um, I just feel like in some ways I'm exploring terrain. I, that I'm kind of exploring terrain that he didn't explore, but very much the way he might have explored it. And, of course, I'm an English major, so I was uh, certainly very uh, affected by Virginia Woolf's writing because I had never seen writing like that or heard writing like that before. And I love the great Victorian novelists with their kind of moral breadth and depth. I think George Eliot was one of my favorites. And who could not love Jane Austen? So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so those are some of some of the ones I can think of offhand. Well, I I'm shifting here. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I was listening to um some of your singing from Maven song earlier and I wonder if you would be willing to sing for us a little bit. <laughs> well, which, which one? You know, it was a YouTube. It was the soul. Oh, it was, oh! I should probably, um, you know, I should probably just sing the beginning of the prologue and the Passion of Mary Magdalene. That's probably the shortest and the easiest. Um, and that's also that's basically I toured with the books, and I would always open just like this. This story begins in the night. There will be a dawn. I promise. I will also tell of mornings when I didn't want to wake and noons full of harsh light and judgment. Sometimes there will be ease and shade in the afternoon, camaraderie and rest, even pleasure. There will be passion, I promise. Morning, noon, and night, season after season, passion that breaks time open wide so you can taste the mystery inside. Well, this story begins in the night. It begins in the middle of the story, in the middle of the night. When the thief comes, when the bridegroom comes, When the bride has long since given up hope And those foolish virgins They're snoring When only a whore is awake 
Now, that's the beginning of the prologue, and then I recite the prologue when I'm on tour. And um, but maybe wow. a lot of different kinds of songs. It has um, a mountain song from when she lived with the Galatians. It has the Pentecostal alley blues. It has um, a real range of music. And a friend of who is a reader, Tim Dillinger, um, he said, "Well, I'm going to take you to Nashville, and you're going to make a CD." And he's also a musician. <laughs> so we did. And um, well, maybe I mean, you can... yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, you can sing. There's no question about that. That was amazing. Oh, thank you. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. so that's how it sort of came about then. Um, I mean, he, yeah. he took you there, but before that, was, well, was before it your that, idea yeah. or Maeve's idea to start singing? So, well, let's see. I think I'm going to take credit for this. I think what happened was when I went out on tour with Passion, I had just... Um, I had just seen two friends do a recital of poetry, and they memorized. And then one of them read a poem that she hadn't memorized, and it was so different, reciting and reading. I thought, i got to memorize. And then for some reason, I don't remember how it came to me that I wanted to begin by singing, but I just did. I just, as I was memorizing that opening, it just became sung. And then uh, wow. when I wrote Bright Dark Madonna... There are other songs from Passion, too, that I put to music because I did something called Unorthodox Easter where I set the last four chapters in a kind of a liturgical reading and I some of the poems made into songs. But then with Bright Dark Madonna, I was singing a lot with a group. And so I just made up songs at the beginning of each section that became the theme of each part of it, like the Pentecostal Alley Blues and Mountain Song and Miriam's Lament and things like that. Oh, no, that was in Passion. I'm getting mixed up. But anyway, it was fun. And then I, when I toured, I would sing instead of just talking. And then, then okay. Tim said, well, why don't you record these? So I did. And he got good musicians to play with me, really good musicians. Wow, that's just great. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that uh, I think is obvious to me and probably anyone who listened to it is that it, it it's just so sensual. And um, it makes me think about your concerns about um, sexuality and the church and sexuality and religion, and I wanted to see if you could talk about that a little bit and your your views on that. Yeah, well, I think that I remember, this is coming into my mind, so I'll just start with whatever comes first. I remember when I got married, I um, I was very much an Episcopalian at the time, and I loved Bach. And we had lots of great music. And then when we went down to the parish house for the reception, I had all the, um, we had record players back then. This is a long time ago. I had a Motown collection, and that's what I wanted to dance to. And I remember thinking that the church wasn't really addressing me from the neck down, as passionate as I was about, you know, at that time, about being an Anglican. I didn't know what to do with the rest of me, but Marvin Gaye did. So I just like, (laughs) these can't be... These can't be separated. These belong together somehow. And then, and I didn't, and I wanted to have um, a way to worship and celebrate that involved the whole body. And that eventually led me to um, pagan celebrations. But I just, the one reason why I wanted to, one reason why I, I am still moved by Jesus is because he was human. He was flesh. I'm not into, you know, things being just spiritual. 
And I thought, right. okay, so he became the prototype of the human, but why is only the male the prototype of the human? I want an incarnate goddess. I don't just want to hear about goddesses from mythology. I want a fleshy goddess. I want a goddess that walked around and had a bad hair day, or no, Maeve never has a bad hair day. <laughs> I have bad hair days, but she doesn't. But she, you know, she's incarnate. And she, if she stubs her toe, she says, ouch. You know, she if she right. gets cut, she bleeds. And that was really important to me. So sex is part of that, too. Yeah. You know, and sex, as we all know, can take us to a place that um, where everything, where, yeah, it's, it just takes you to that place. Why not write about it? I mean, some religions have, and they do have that tradition, but it's kept secret in a yeah. lot of them. And it's like, no, this is, why can't we talk about this? Why can't we acknowledge this? And so I wrote about Maeve, who is very sexy. Yes, yes, she is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, like, half the people who read the books are just completely infatuated with her, you know. Well, she, um, she's okay. had people have crushes on her, I think. Yeah, yeah, have a um, have an infatuation with her, you know, like the way you do, and you know, a teacher that you admire. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and um, some people have told me that when they got their spouse to read the book, things got heated up a little bit. So that's good. Oh wow! Well, I have to say, it kind of surprised. I mean, I don't know what I don't really write very graphic sex scenes at all, but. No. You just know the sex is good, generally right. Well, it's partially her her attitude too. So. Yeah, she's very um, she's very uninhibited. It's true because she was raised by those witches and they played with menstrual blood on and rock and finger painted with it on the rocks. So that's how she was raised. Which yeah, was actually yeah. when I was first sending that that book around in another under another name. Um, it's had a long oh, it took years for it to get published. But um, you know, some editors had a problem with that. It's like, whoa, there's bodily functions in this book. Um, hmm. No, and I realized <laughs> oh, there's more bodily functions in Magdalene Rising probably than the others. And I thought, oh, geez, did I just get outgrow there? Did I get tired? Why is there more in Magdalene Rising? And I thought, well, she's growing up. She's interested. <laughs> she wants to know what's going on with her body. It's new, so she right. does. It's that time for her, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we're actually out of time, darn it. And um, I wanted to see before we and if you have any upcoming events or other publications or anything you'd like to announce. Oh yeah, I'd like everyone to somehow get to the Mid Hudson Valley on November nineteenth. Oblong Books and Music in Rhinebeck, seven o'clock. That's November 19th, Saturday, November 19th, 7 o'clock, Oblong Books in Rhinebeck. And also the week following, at a wonderful friend of mine has a wonderful magical shop named The Dreaming Goddess. And that will be a sort of more ceremonial celebration at 5.30 on November 26th. Well, gosh, that sounds wonderful too, both of them. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, well, thank you, Melissa. Time. Great questions. Oh, Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. And it was just wonderful to get to talk to you and hear you sing and hear you read. And it was just magical, really. I, I oh, I'm glad. So much. <laughs> well, maybe okay. thank you, too. Oh, great. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Good. Okay. Good night. Bye. Bye. 
Okay, so uh, I'd like to thank all of you who are listening in tonight. Our next interview will be November 20th from 7 to 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with J.P. Dancing Bear, the poet, editor, publisher, and radio show host. A year subscription to Tepera is just $19 and includes six issues, one print and five digital. In November, Tefera Journal will be revamping its beautiful website to an even more beautiful and efficient new website with new classes, writing, and membership opportunities. The site is also a great place for readers and listeners to post their own poetry since our editors feature one poem each day from those who post. For more information, please visit our website at www.teferitjournal.com. That's www.tiferetjournal.com. Thank you for being with us tonight. We hope you'll join us again next month.